Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to cash in on your SaaS customer success stories. Today, we have our guest, Joel Kletke, joining us. Joel is a conversion copywriter for B2B and SaaS at Business Casual Copywriting and the founder of Case Study Buddy, a done-for-you case study service where they help agencies, SaaS companies, and B2B businesses such as Moz, Unbounce, GatherUp, and Hotjar capture and share persuasive customer success stories. Apart from being a conversion-focused copywriter and strategist, Joel holds a, a Bachelor of Commerce who runs his company like a business and a digital marketer with five-plus years of experience on the agency side. Joel loves deadlines, strategy documents, clear communication, and helping you figure out what content you actually need to reach, nurture, and convert your audience. So welcome, Joel. Glad to have you on our, our show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Cool. So uh, for those in our audience who aren't familiar with your background, can you tell us a, a little bit about your background, your entrepreneurial ventures, and how you decided to launch Case Study Buddy? I believe it was in 2016. What was the problem you're looking to solve and, and how's it been going so far? Yeah, so I've kind of fallen backwards into every job I've ever had and didn't really know it was a job until it was mine. So uh, I graduated with an entrepreneurship degree. I really didn't know where I wanted to be. I knew more about, you know, the, the kind of place I wanted to be than what I actually wanted to do. Long story short, I wound up agency side doing SEO, which again, I didn't know was a thing until it was my job. And uh, I'd always loved writing, but never saw a career path in it. And that all changed kind of as I got immersed in the agency and digital marketing world. And especially when different algorithm updates hit and I realized, hey, there's actually a pretty huge market for people who can communicate well and, and run the strategy side of it. So in 2013, I left the agency side of things to start business casual. And originally it was just content. So I was doing a lot of uh, niche blog writing and ebooks and white papers, and then uh, very quickly came across the work of fellow Canadian Joanna Weeb uh, in the conversion copywriting space. And it was kind of this light bulb moment where I realized, hey, all this direct response copywriting, all of this persuasive copywriting, it doesn't have to be greasy and gross. There's actually a really cool ethical way to do it that combines all the analytical stuff I'd learned doing SEO with all the creative stuff that I feel like you know I, I grew up loving to do. So I made the switch about a year after starting my, my company. And then um, a couple of years later, I was asked to do a case study by uh, someone who sat on the board of a fairly prominent tech company. And I really got on well with him, the kind of person who, you know, if they asked if you do something like, yeah, for you, I do. So uh, he, he asked if I would do a case study for a, a company called Pingboard. And uh, so I, in going through the process of doing that case study, it just there's a whole bunch of realizations that led to starting Case Study Buddy. Um, but the core ones were that this is a very difficult asset if you want to do it right, but everybody needs it. It's a very unique asset in that it can be used across the entire funnel. Um, and there was no real competition. There was a, a smattering of kind of, you know, the odd person who said, this is part of what I offer or agencies who had it as one more thing, but very few specialists. In fact, Casey Hibbard uh, was kind of the only one I came across who was doing this at, at a high level. So I thought, well, why not me? Why not be the person to start the company who whacks all the moles and specializes? And so that's what Case Study Buddy exists to be. Uh, we want to be the category killer for all things social proof and customer stories. Very nice. And uh, you guys have a team now. You guys are based in Calgary as well, right? Yeah. So the leadership team is based in Calgary, myself and my partner, Jen. But our team is 
international to a degree. Uh, so we have uh, writers and, and our, our primary team is North American. So uh, like our lead editor is Canadian. Uh, we have a lot of kind of Americans abroad. So some of our writers are uh, Americans living in France or Spain or elsewhere. So we're, we are a bit of an international team at this point, all remote uh, other than Jen and I sit down across the table from each other, you know, increasingly more and more often. But uh, yeah, based in Canada, we service international clients and our team is uh, pretty international too. Very cool. So you mentioned that case studies are probably something that you can use across the funnel. Um, you know, I, I personally th- I always thought of it, looked at it like a more middle of the funnel or bottom of the funnel. Um, I think some, some founders may struggle when trying to understand the value behind maybe creating more case studies versus focusing on maybe just creating top of the funnel content. Um, when leveraging their existing, you know, their, their, their existing information, uh, why do you think case studies and customer success journeys are valuable information to share with prospects or, or customers? So I came out the same way you did. When I first started doing case studies, my mentality was, okay, this is like middle, bottom of funnel stuff, like get them over the finish line. But the deeper that I got into it, especially with this conversion copywriting background that I have now, the more I realized like, actually, no, there's huge utility to use these as top of the funnel assets. Like the companies who are doing this really well are using them as top of funnel assets. For example, Cardhook, who's a client of ours, they bring leads in with case studies. They identified that there's some key pain points, some really critical desired outcomes that they know an ideal prospect either is feeling or wants to have. And so they use customer success stories as a key part of their acquisition. I think what makes them so valuable and, and what blows the doors off of just bottling them into one part of the funnel is that these are stories when done right about people like you who have the problems you have, who made the decision you're debating and got the result you want. And there's a lot packed into that story. I think where a lot of companies fall on their faces with these is that they only know how to tell them one way. They only know how to write them to be bottom of the funnel assets, or they only think to write them as these very generic, canned, you know, unexciting assets that feel pretty boring, ugly, narcissistic, like a lot of customer success stories are done poorly. So I think what makes these stories so valuable too, you ask the question or, or kind of put it out there, well, why keep creating them? Like how many of these things do you need? Why not just fill the top of the, the funnel? And it, it's not that you have to do one or the other, but to the question of, well, how many case studies should we even have? My response has always been, well, think about it this way. How many different pain points can somebody have? How many Mm -hmm. different roles are you selling into, especially in B2B SaaS? How many different roles need to sign off or approve that, right? If we think about IT or security needs to sign off on, okay, does this pass muster on regulations and that sort of thing? Well, that can be a case study. The CFO might need to pass off on, okay, is this a wise investment? The CTO might need to pass on, does this fit with our existing stack and so on and so forth? So how many roles do you have? How many pain points do they have? What are the key desired outcomes and how can you express that? And then even thinking through the lens of, okay, what niches or industries or different spaces do you sell into? They all want to see a story that as closely mirrors theirs as possible. So while having just one great story is a good start, it's not the end of the line. Sales team need, think of it like ammunition. Each story is a different bullet in the chamber that they can pull out and use at any Mm. point that they need to. Mm. And so besides telling stories about your brand and then also customer success stories, are there any other underserved aspects or other areas you can use case studies that people may, may not think about? 
Yeah. I mean, these weren't even, again, these weren't even on my radar when we started, but thinking about for SaaS especially, let's say you have multiple tiers of plans. You have a premium plan or a high-end plan. Why would you not use a customer success story to upsell or to cross-sell, right? During that nurture sequence, when people want to see the efficacy of their choice, when they want to feel like, okay, I've made a wise decision, right? They've just purchased. They might be feeling buyers, that that nervousness, that buyer's remorse that we all kind of get in how good a purchase is until we realize the outcome. Using stories to bridge that gap or as fuel in your nurture sequences, or even let's say for SaaS, you want to highlight different aspects of the product, overlooked features, things that maybe people uh, don't know how they would use or how to derive the value from. Telling them a story of how someone like them got the value of that feature might make them go, oh, actually, yeah, we should be using that. That is worth investigating. Or, oh, you know what? Actually, going up to the pro plan or the elite plan or whatever might actually be really worth the investment. So they're really Mm -hmm. great for nurturing, for upselling. Another sort of use case that gets widely overlooked is Winback emails. So if someone churns out, and if you're a smart software company, unfortunately, it's still this is still not that common on the conversion copy side when I come in and do assessments. This isn't happening. So if you're listening and you don't want to do the customer success story thing, here's a tip for you anyway. Every single software company should be asking segmentation types of questions during onboarding. You you should be learning who this customer is, what their expectations are, how they expect to use your product, and how they will measure success. Mm. How they measure success is your problem. But software Mm. companies often don't make it that way. They don't check in. They don't hold themselves accountable for helping that client get over the line. So if you know all that through the onboarding sequence and someone churns out, well, now if you have a story that comes in later on where it's like, hey, this aligns with the profile of that person, what they wanted. It's a very natural way to reach back out and say, hey, we know you tried our platform or software or what have you. You didn't get the result that you want, but I wanted to share this story of someone like you and maybe it's, you know, would it be worth revisiting? It's a really natural way to reopen the conversation. And then the last one that I want to mention too is just that bringing it right back to where we started, that top of the funnel. If you can especially make your case studies prescriptive, how to do X, Y, Z, and then use a customer as sort of the model for doing that, then that works really well as acquisition material because you're teaching that how-to, that pain alleviation, but you've got this proof baked right in that, hey, you know, this works. Here's a real example to illustrate this concept because a lot of top of funnel content is theoretical. It's uh, here's a process for it. There's not a lot of proof on the other end. So if you can put the two together, now your piece is stronger than your competitors and hopefully you close the deal. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then, you know, if we look at the format, so whether you're creating the top of the funnel how-to or just a, a full-on case study, what's what do you say is the best format for these stories or similar elements that, uh, elements that you can get so you can get more effectiveness and engaging, uh, uh, you know, case study. W- would you suggest going written or video or a combination of both? What do you find to be more effective? I think you've really touched on an important point, and that is there is no like one supreme format. I would mm. say you know there's a reason video content is so popular, and it's because it can be massively repurposed. Once you have the video, you've got every conceivable asset you can have. You've got audio, you can turn it into written, and that's why Case Study is increasingly you know beefing up our video offering and so on and so forth. But a video can fall flat in other situations, right? Like mm. uh, sometimes written really is the best. It's hard, for example, like if I want to pass on uh, some firm specs or I want to pass on something to my internal team, a short little study that they can read, you know, in, in a few, in a minute or, or two minutes might feel more approachable to them, more tangible 
than a video. Um, sometimes in some cases, you know, video can be the most expensive asset to do uh, if you want to do it at a, you know, really high level, like with COVID and everyone at home now, uh, webcam testimony videos are kind of taken off and the quality is kind of relaxing a little. You know, people are more comfortable having these a little bit more raw types of assets. And those are great too. But video can be cost prohibitive, especially if you're bootstrapping, especially if you're early days. It's a lot yeah. more scheduling, a lot more equipment, a lot more know-how that has to go in. So, and, and not everyone's comfortable on video. So having just the audio, something that we're helping our customers do that nobody else really is, is turning customer success stories into these audiograms. So turning them into a social sharing asset that has this interactive element where you can sort of hear for yourself what the customer had to say and read the words and get the gist of the story or embed these audio snippets in the written version on your site as this undeniable proof that, yeah, this person actually said that. I mean, as skepticism increases because we see things like GPT-3 rolling out, which if you haven't heard of, you should go Google right now and get both amazed and terrified at what's about to hit us. Uh, but it adds this level of credibility. And then even within written, there are moments when a soundbite is all somebody needs on a sales page, you know, a quick testimonial. But then there are other situations low in the funnel where they want, they need all the detail. They want a meaty case study. They're ready for it. So they're mm -hmm. having a longer format of the same story is hugely beneficial. So it's not just how many case studies should we have, but it's also how many different formats should we be telling this story in to sort of cater to the awareness level, what the lead is ready for, what their informational needs are so that it can do its job. Makes sense. And for, for those, you mentioned about, you know, early stage or bootstrap founders. For SaaS founders in that early stage, they understand the value of using case studies, but, you know, they just don't have as many users or they still haven't measured the effectiveness of their product to, to be able to, to build a full-on case study. How else can they use or, or think about creating a case study to A, generate authority and help them building their brand and credibility continuously? Yeah, so before we answer that question, and it is an important question, there's one question that I you didn't ask that I, I need to answer because the most important thing mm. I feel like you can be doing as a bootstrap startup, if you're looking for an edge, a way to beat out more established competitors, a way to make social proof a big part of what differentiates you. Because let's be honest, they can steal your features, they can steal your design, they can steal, like all that stuff can be stolen, but nobody can take the success stories you've created for your clients from you. So the most important mm -hmm. thing I think small companies, bootstrap companies, companies in the early stages can be doing is thinking about how do we systematize communication with our customers? How do we have conversations and make sure we have conversations early with customers about expectations, about the segment that they belong in, about what they're you know, hoping to get as a result and how they will measure that? And how do we create a system for checking in with them so that communication with us feels normal? Because that's the difference between asking for a case study feeling like a stranger swooping in asking for a favor from this faceless big software company and, hey, oh no, I know my account rep and we've been talking about this for a long time. Of course, I'm happy to share our story. So that's mm. something really critical. But for these, you know, early stage companies, these start companies without huge user bases, you don't need to explode out the gate with five different studies, 10 different studies, where to focus is, and you can actually hurt yourself by moving too quickly to try to get a case study, because if you haven't had customers with you long enough to realize any value, you're going to get these very flaky, shallow stories anyways. So set up the systems, be collecting these bits of feedback and testimonials, have these check-in points along the way, whether it's NPS scores or customer surveys or conversations with sales reps. Start with, you know, kind of like 
you're far from in Guadalajara, but like when it snows up here and like a snowball, right? Like start rolling with what you have. It's only going to grow and grow and grow. So for early stage companies, work on getting those first testimonials from your big advocates, your early adopters, and then have systems in place. So as they realize wins, you can recognize it, you can respond and then build stories out that way over time. So, you know, and, and, Yes, investment, you know, we all have to be careful with the capital we have. It's not infinite, especially when you're bootstrapping. But I do want to to consider that while you can feed the beast of a blog over and over and over again, one great story can be repurposed all these different ways. It's worth spending the money on getting something that's going to give you that much leverage versus just one more generic blog post drop in the bucket that you hope is going to rank for you. Right. And if you're in the, the early stages, you say, okay, I've got these clients, they're ready to, you know, I have some success story. I'm in the early stage. I don't know how to best create it uh, to be as effective as possible. Can you provide any suggestions how you would best structure this case study to, to get the most results and, and you know, be effective uh, for, for users reading it? So two things, before you go to tell a story, stop and think, what kind of story is it that we want to be able to tell? What business challenges do we have right now? Are we having a trouble penetrating a market? Are we having trouble getting people out of the nurture sequence and into adopting the platform? Are we having trouble convincing a certain role within the organization? So before you go to tell any story, stop and think, okay, what types of stories what types of outcomes, what types of roles do we need to tell? And that should help you start to think a little more strategically about the asset that you're going to create. From there, think about the use case. So, okay, are we trying to use these for acquisition? Well, then we probably need a format that's a little bit uh, either you know quick and dirty and gives them something really juicy to sink their teeth into and then brings them into the funnel. Or maybe it is something a little more comprehensive, like a how-to post that promises an alleviation of pain. So thinking about that. But in terms of structuring the actual story, how do you tell a really great case study regardless of the format? Some things I, I want to encourage you with is the first is to think about bringing in that human component. A lot of the times these stories are very dry, they're very corporate. It's, okay, X is a company from this niche with this problem, they got this product and and this is what they've achieved. But these are very human stories. There are people in these organizations facing real challenges with real stakes of getting them wrong. You wanna Mm -hmm. capture that. You wanna capture sort of not just the sort of ins and outs and, and the specs and all that, but you want to get your customer's quote. Your customer has to be part of the storytelling process. You can't do this without them. You want to get those quotes that talk about how it felt to finally have a solution for this, what that meant for them. And that's the last thing I want to say is when you get into, well, the last two things in the challenge section, don't just talk about, or in the solution section, don't just talk about your features. Talk about how they use those features and then what that enabled for them. So kind of the, tr- the transition you can make is here was the old way. Then they deployed the feature. This is how it looked when they did that. And here's the outcome they got from that. And do that for the features that they found most valuable. Keep the story focused. You can't talk about everything at that length. But mm-hmm. when you anchor on that sort of big win for them or the features they've really loved, you can tell the story that way. And then in the results section, there's a big tendency for software just want to say, oh, well, here's the big sexy metric, the big percentage, the big whatever. But don't miss the opportunity to talk about, again, 
what that meant for them. So, okay, you, you improved mm-hmm. efficiency 200%. That's nice. But the specifics of how that changed the way that they work or changed the goals they could set, that's really valuable and important. So you want to be thinking about not just the metric, not just the outcome, but the impact of that outcome on their role, on the business, on the competitive landscape. Love it. Yeah, it's not something I've, I've thought about in the past about adding that. Usually it's just about here, this is the results, this is, X, X, this is what we achieved. Um, and, you know, that's what people generally would like to see. But adding that extra factor, I think, is is really helpful. Um, and then you, I, I look at this, you know, we said it's kind of part of your, your marketing budget. So as a SaaS founder, you're considering, okay, I can either spend my money on top of the mon- funnel content or as we spoke about, you know, case study, which can would cover a lot of that. Um, but, you know, you also want to consider your ROI on this. How do you measure an ROI when spending you know, your marketing budget on case studies. I think that's the tricky part because as we've talked about now, there are a lot of different ways to deploy them. And so you should measure their success based on the circumstances they're deployed in and built for. I think one of the reasons that people feel like, oh, I'm not getting the ROI from my case study is because they don't really use it. They like shove it onto a resources section of the site, forget about it, or they chuck it into a customer section. And it's hard to quantify, okay, well, how much work did this do for me? So I think it's about defining the use case where you're deploying it. If you're using it in your nurture sequence, compare it to a sequence where that's not present. Do you get more opt-ins? Great, it did its job. Did you not? Okay, then it wasn't effective in that capacity. If you're using it for legion and acquisition, compare it to your other campaigns, not just in terms of volume, but in terms of the quality of leads. Like, hey, when we deploy this, are we getting good quality leads from people who engage with this you know, story with this ad uh, for on your site. You want to look at it through the lens of, okay, things like both assisted conversions, which is, you know, how many people who ultimately signed up went and looked at that page. Uh, But also in terms of, you know, you can look at it through the lens of, is it pulling in traffic? Is it pulling in those types of things? What's difficult about case studies, though, is especially with software, especially with B2B, a lot of the punch that they pack happens where there's no obvious data point to point to. Like, it's very difficult to quantify other Mm -hmm. than anecdotally, okay, the sales team saying we sent them some case studies and it closed the deal. You, You can't measure that with analytics, really. You can only kind of be tracking. But that, that I feel is just as important as listening to your sales team and not just, okay, we closed the deal, but are they able to answer questions that in the past took a long time to answer? Are they getting better questions from qualified leads once they've received the studies? Does it change the dynamic of the conversation? So when you're looking to measure the ROI of a case study, consider the context you've deployed it in. Feel free to test it against other types of assets. You know, it's a fair fight. If it doesn't do the job that it's meant to do there, then either revisit the format or the way it's presented or, or go with something else. You know, it's these don't have to work in all situations but they can when they're done well. So consider the context and measure accordingly. Mm. So yeah, you know, for salespeople, you can use it as a tool to go out there and help close the deal. If they come on your website, I guess it's a little bit more tricky. I mean, yes, you can you can measure the traffic. I guess you can also add in some kind of lead capture or, or some kind of opt-in on that page directly. And I think that would probably be the better way to, to measure it on that point, right? You can. I think the tricky thing is that like case studies are part of the self-education process, right? And in the same way that I think it's a flawed 
idea for most companies. This, this is where a lot of companies get frustrated with their blogs. Is they go, oh, we've got this crazy amount of blog traffic, but it's not all converting. Like the informational needs though are vastly different. If someone's reading a how-to type of post over here, it's not necessarily, they're not necessarily mentally ready to make the decision to purchase. So that's why, you know, when you look at direct conversions from case studies, it's something you can do. We encourage our customers to have a call to action in the PDF with a button that has the UTM tags. You can you see how many people came from that. But you you can't write it off if it's not causing that direct conversion. That's why I say assisted conversions. Is this part of the corpus of content that they used on the journey to choosing you? Because they might not click the button on that page. They might not click the button today. But if they read a case study, come back a few weeks later and sign up, that case they should still get part of the credit for helping them get over true. the line. That's true. And some, some founders, you know, maybe using case study as, you know, for spinoff content, would you recommend doing this or how would you, or what would you recommend for, you know, helping them repurpose that, that information? Yeah. I mean, use them every single way you possibly can. You've paid for the asset. You've got the story. Why would you not? So some very simple ways to repurpose. Take some of the best quotes out of the case study, turn them into little testimonial blurbs, put them in your sales pages, put them in your outreach emails. If you're doing cold outreach, like there was a study by a company called Hiplead at the time they've since been acquired, but uh, they saw when you mention a famous customer, positive responses to cold outreach tripled. So mm. Now, that's a famous customer. You can imagine just mentioning any customer relevant to the person that you're reaching out to. If it's in their space, their niche, a competitor, that's a much more compelling pitch than just, hey, can we help you with X problem like the last five people who emailed you on this. So testimonial blurbs are really easy. Bake these things into, if you send out a newsletter, share some wins, right? Share the wins other people are having on the platform in a way that maybe inspires someone to go and look at the feature sets and so on that you have. Use mm -hmm. them near the bottom of the funnel. Give them to your sales team and equip them to, to make use of them there. Use them on social. Turn them into you know testimonial blurbs that pull people into the site, get them interested. Repurpose them into how-to types of pieces. Or another way that you can repurpose them is have the formal case study, then have a Q&A blog post. So, hey, we interviewed the founder of X company about why they used us, but then you can have other parts of that as well that don't just focus on you. So, I mean... Yeah, you'd be, and this is part of what gets me fired up in passion is like, that's what Case Study Buddy is really all about. That's where we see ourselves differentiating is helping people unpack the potential of customer stories to be these multi-purpose assets instead of these sad little isolated kind of drops in the bucket wherever they get slotted. So mm. spin it off in any and all ways you possibly can. Just make sure you have your customer's permission to use it in the capacity that you want to. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, any other strategies that you can recommend that we haven't already co covered to to SaaS companies to help them maximize the the case study conversions or just the effectiveness um, so that they can get the most out of it? And what, you know, what can they expect if they do do that? I think to recap, there's a couple things that not enough SaaS companies are doing that I wish more would that I think will give you a legitimate edge. I think one of them is being intentional about uh, intentional about systematizing the way you communicate with customers. Have check-ins, have you know a documented place where anyone who touches the account can go to see who are they, what did they come in wanting, how has that played out, how do they measure success? It makes for such an easier conversation. So mm -hmm. do that. The second I would say is be strategic about the stories you want to tell. Kind of the adage that I tell people is the stories you tell are the stories you attract. 
if you don't want to work with a particular contingent of client anymore, don't have stories about serving them, right? Like if all mm. your stories are about small business and you're trying to move into the enterprise, that creates this dissonance between who you are and, and, and who people want you to be. So, you know, I would say be strategic about the stories you want to tell who you want to tell them to and what matters to those people and look for the intersection of that and your business goals. That's where the best stories come from. Don't just spit these out. Don't just let them be happy accidents. Oh, someone loves us. I guess we should do a story. Have a plan for them and you can make them inevitable. In terms of what becomes possible, I mean, we see all sorts of different things. I mentioned earlier, Carthook uses these in their top of funnel. They don't mm. even have an opt-in. They use them to get people to read and then they capture people with their remarketing campaign it's done amazingly well for them. Uh, mm. We work with agencies who have closed hundreds of thousands of dollars in additional yearly revenue by making customer success stories part of their sales process. Uh, we've put together assets for individual consultants who, you know, it's helped them close these RFPs where they're punching way above their weight class and attracting clients that, you know, they, they otherwise maybe wouldn't have been able to close. So I wish I could point to some hard metric where it's like, it's going to double your convert. Like, I just can't do that <laughs> because it's not true to life. But I can tell you that the companies who take these seriously go in with a plan make them, you know, beautiful assets to look at and interact with and then continually deploy them and don't just give up after the first one. They do see results in terms of traffic lifts and sales in upgrades, retention, all of it. Very cool. So you mentioned uh, Joanna Weeb. So interestingly, I didn't, I didn't know she's from Edmonton as well. That, that's pretty cool. Um, is there any other you know, favorite resources or mentors that you say that, that you followed and have been maybe instrumental to your success and achievements today? Yeah, Joanna Weeb's Copy Hackers is huge for the conversion copy side of things, which we didn't talk as much about today. But I think, you know, definitely worth uh, checking that site out. She has fantastic, I mean, her free newsletters are amazing. Tutorial Tuesdays are fantastic. For software especially, that was and is and has been her, her world and where she operates. So there's just fantastic content on the site in her newsletters, in her courses too. If you have small teams and you need them to be stone cold killers on email marketing, Joanna Weeb's course, I mean, I've gone through it. It's, it's fantastic. So she's someone that I would certainly uh, point to in that capacity. On the subject of email, Val Geisler, uh, she is the email queen for, for SaaS and for subscription. And so uh, she is a fantastic resource. She's done teardowns of different nurture sequences and onboarding. And there's a lot to learn on her site and a lot to pull out there. Uh, Jennifer Hayweiss, uh, she's from Minnesota. She is sort of the queen bee of customer research. She has a book out uh, that you should go and get. It's a very low cost investment for something that will shape a lot of the processes that you use. It is like a uh, manual to using customer insight to craft your message. Like, how do I go from, okay, we, we know we need to talk to customers. How do I practically bridge that with, we also need to turn that into messaging that sells. That's what her book is all about. I would absolutely recommend snapping that up. 
Um, and then similarly, another great Canadian, April Dunford, she works on positioning. She's done positioning for uh, huge software companies, very challenging markets, all kinds of stuff. She has a book called Obviously Awesome. It's a wonderful read. It will change the way you think about positioning. So if you're currently thinking about positioning through the lens of positioning statements and we do X for Y so that they can Z, uh, get ready to toss that out the window and have a much <laughs> richer understanding of what positioning really means and what it can do for your software. So uh, I think everyone I mentioned just so happens to be a woman there, but there, there are tons of just fantastic, brilliant women in this space, which is part of what makes it an exciting place to be. And a lot of the leaders in the space who are publishing stuff like that are women. So, uh, you know, those four are definitely people that I would point to. Very good. Awesome. Uh, we'll definitely add those in our show notes. Thank you for that. Um, last question, Joel, where can our audience learn more about you and what you're working on? Yeah, so you can check out on the conversion copy side of things uh, at businesscasual.com, businesscasualcopywriting.com, sorry. Uh, at the bottom of the homepage, you can sign up for my newsletter and I really don't send anything unless I feel like I have something worth saying. Uh, but all my work is on uh, you know, conversion copy for software companies. I've done it for some of the giants in the space like HubSpot uh, and, and I've, I've worked on, uh, you know, projects from startups to enterprise. I've seen a lot, so I share a lot of insight there. You can check out casestudybuddy.com and we publish a lot of content there and resources and things that you can go, you know, do yourself. It's not all about, well, just hire us. It's There's a lot there that if you're bootstrapping and, and we're outside of reach, like, hey, like take the stuff we share and go do it yourself. I just want to see better stories out there at the end of the day. Uh, the last one, I always kind of preface it with this. I don't always respond quickly, but I do always respond. Uh, mm -hmm. But you can reach me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn or Twitter at Joel Kletke uh, and drop me a note. I love hearing from people. And like I say, I might be slow. I got two kids, two businesses. It's uh, sometimes too much to handle, but uh, I, uh, I always try to get back to people and, and be helpful wherever I can, even if it's not working together, whether it's a referral or a resource. You know, my passion is just seeing better communication happen and, and people make smarter decisions with the assets they create. Yeah, that's understandable. And I appreciate that, Joel. Thanks for jumping on SAS District today. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.